0: They fuck you up, your mum and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had, and add some extra just for you. But they were fucked up in their turn, by fools in old-style hats and coats, who half the time were sloppy stern, and half at one another's throats. Man hands on misery to man, it deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can, and don't have any kids yourself.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Geek Swear. This time we are going to be doing the review swear of our segment series, and I am kindly joined today by King Bob. Hello. And also Stephen. Hello. Now in this episode we are looking at series that are available to stream and view either online or through an available platform such as Netflix, Amazon or even BBC iPlayer. Today's uh, review of choice is now going to be Patrick Melrose, which was a project that was created in 2018, it's a five part mini drama series starring Benedict Cumberbatch as the titular Melrose and the show is based on a series of semi-autobiographical novels by Edward St. Aubyn. So guys, um, there's a reason why we've got this selection and not MKH in the lineup because MKH, as we already well know, if you've listened to the episode Counterpart, is very anti-Cumberbatch and he doesn't like Benedict either in film or TV, or even as the infiltrator of his um, Avengers Marvel Cinematic Universe. Have you guys got any feelings towards Mr. Benedict Cumberbatch as a man, as an actor, as somebody who can't can't pronounce the word penguin?
0: Penguin thing was a shocker.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Let's
0: let's be honest. I, I don't know how I can feel about him after that.
1: I mean, you have um, to watch Graham Norton or one of these Penguin documentaries to understand the reference, but...
0: It, no, no, I've seen it. I've, I've, seen, I've seen it in all its glory.
1: I'm saying and, this for the audience, but the... Um, oh, okay. Do you... do? You, does it bother you that Benedict Cumberbatch is any, in anything that you're about to watch, like it does Cage?
0: I don't have a problem with him in that way. I think I was never the biggest fan of Sherlock, I thought that was a slightly overrated show. And I wasn't completely convinced by the central performance that seemed to be the thing that sealed the deal for everyone else. But then subsequently, I've seen him in things that I've thought he'd been really good in. He was in 12 Years a Slave for a start. And obviously, he's not the main character in that by any means. But it is an important supporting role. And in fact, I think um, the director of that, Steve McQueen, said that he considered Benedict Cumberbatch's character to be worse than the Michael Fassbender character for yeah, the sure. reason that um, he's hypocritical and he believes that he's a good person.
1: Yeah, he kind of plays the role of like an enabler to the slavery um, uh, yes. process. And he's and then he cons- to his role in it. yeah.
0: He turns a blind eye to it and he considers himself to be a Christian. And I think. Benedict Cumberbatch played that and he allowed you to see that character's hypocrisy. So that was an important supporting role in a very, very good film. But you certainly didn't let it down. And then I've seen some other things. Doctor Strange, I'm kind of on the fence with Doctor Strange. I know, TJ, you're a fan. Um, And then this film, um, this um, miniseries, I should say, Mm. is probably the best performance I've ever seen from him.
1: That's interesting. Uh, let me let me bring Stephen in. Uh, Stephen, as a football man, um, Benedict Cumberbatch has got 100 nominations and 26 wins out of those 100 nominations for his acting performances. So you could say that's 26 like 26 goals and 100 appearances. Um, and he's won awards such as the British Independent Film Awards for *The Imitation Game*. He's won uh, the Film Critics Association Award for *12 Years a Slave* and he's even won Hollywood Film Awards for the best ensemble cast and things like August Osage County. Does it bother you that Benedict Cumberbatch is in a film or TV production when you see it?
2: No, I'm a big fan of his mother, I, I love his mother. Um, and so I will, will, um, I will forgive Benedict any um, <laughs> anything because of his gorgeous mother.
1: I don't know who his mother is. Could you could you Wonder, explain? On Wanda Ventham. Wanda Ventham.
2: She was in a lot of cult TV shows in the sixties and seventies. In she was in Doctor Who once, and she okay. also played. She was also Cassandra's mum in Only Fools and Horses.
1: Oh, that's interesting. That's very very <laughs> interesting. Look, look, speaking of somebody who knows a little bit about the Sherlock mythology. Were you impressed or disappointed by Benedict Cumberbatch's iteration? I,
2: I enjoyed it until it went slightly up its own arse. But um, I mean, you, you kind of—it's it, hard because they were kind of adapting the the stories, but trying to do it in a way that was different. So they're obviously it wasn't—it was never going to work perfectly, a hundred percent. And I think they got a bit lost in that towards the end when he brought the sister in and all that. Sure, sure. um i, I enjoyed I, I i did enjoy the series i thought it was an interesting take on Sherlock Holmes and it was kind of yeah I, I yeah i enjoyed it but then you know it was written by Moffat and Gattis. so i'm i'm kind of contractually obliged right. to like anything they do as i'm not allowed to be a Doctor Who fan
1: okay so i mentioned um Sherlock because Sherlock was a production that happened in 2010 to 2017 for the BBC And the Sherlock character in the Benedict Cumberbatch iteration does have a slight drug addiction problem or is prone to a drug addiction. Slight. And this was a project, pardon? Slight. Slight. Yeah. I'll say slight. I don't want to give away too many spoilers. And um, if you haven't watched Poetry at Melrose, please stop now because we are going to be dropping spoiler landmines across this segment. Um, but after the 2010 to 2017 production of Sherlock, he does do a Saturday Night Live stint and something called The Child in Time but 2018 was his uh, biggest commitment to a production where he's not just the actor but he's also the executive producer and to give you some um, idea of what Patrick Melrose is about it can be summarized as a story told over five decades from the 1960s to the early 2000s where a wealthy Englishman attempts to overcome his addictions and demons rooted in abuse by his cruel father and negligent mother. Um, so uh, this is a cast that features Benedict Cumberbatch as Patrick Melrose. Um,
2: it's kind of gin- a, it's, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but it's kind Son of, of a, 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 a dramatic representation of the Larkin poem. Okay, um, you know, oh indeed. Could you please
1: quote from the too. poem as well so we don't have to repeat it. Yes,
2: yeah. So they fucked up your parents, they didn't mean to you, but they do. They, they, oh God, they, yeah, I, I, I wish I had it out now. But yeah, I think yeah, I think yeah. the American woman that he briefly has a date with in it actually quotes that to him. And it's, it's the whole thing is kind of like a, it is a graphic illustration of Larkin's poem, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, shall, I, shall I read it out? I got it.
1: Yeah, go for okay. it.
0: It goes, they fuck you up, your mum and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you. But they were fucked up in their turn by fools in old style hats and coats who half the time was sloppy stern and half at one another's throats. Man hands on misery to man, it deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can and don't have any kids yourself."
1: (laughs) Excellent. I mean, the thing is the first time I ever heard that poem, I think was in real time was probably when David Bowie, Recited it on an episode of Parkinson, where he was supposed to be interviewed, and he was. I think he the Parkinson was getting close to talking about some questions about what his family life was, and instead of answering the question directly, he referred to that poem. And um, I would say this is a story about some of the sacrifices and the pain of uh, being a part of a successful. And um, prominent family that's wealthy in English culture. So um, Patrick Melrose is the touchler figure. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee plays Eleanor Melrose, who is kind of a, a downtrodden alcoholic mother who finds it difficult to establish any sense of assertiveness inside the family home. Uh, David Melrose is kind of like a, a cruel brutal and sometimes cynical um father. He's, he's actually
2: kind of although he's evil, he's the best character and it's kind of a shame that he's not in it more.
1: Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah. Well I think he has got to be the I think it works where he's a, more of a specter that's haunted yeah. Patrick, oh, Patrick oh, yeah, and, and his decisions. But yeah, I, I agree that you're right. It'd be, a, he could have Hill his own thing. series on his own. Yeah.
2: Excellent performance by Stan Neil. Yeah, yeah, I mean he's fantastic and you just want to see that, even though it's kind of horrible.
1: <laughs> and I want to make a men. Commend- I mean, we've also got female characters in as well. It's not just male orientated. We've got Jessica Rain, who plays Julia, who's a love mm. interest, I think it was, and Holly Granger as Bridget Watson Scott, and even Indira Varma as Anne Moore, who plays the aunt uh, of uh, Patrick Melrose. But for me, um, the character I was most besotted with was Pitt Torrens as Nicholas Pratt, because um, I've seen him in <coughs> the TV series Preacher. And he magnificently plays a kind of arrogant asshole to the best of anyone's ability that I've ever seen. And um, so we're gonna try and and delve in this episode by episode if you don't mind. Um, We've got five episodes, one's called Bad News, Nevermind, Some Hope, Mother's Milk, and At Last. With the Bad News episode, we start in 1982 where Patrick Melrose has to be suddenly dispatched to New York to collect the ashes of his father. And he's in the process of thinking about quitting drugs, but it's quite clear that he's kind of a, a veteran or somebody who's got a notorious reputation for taking drugs at inappropriate times. Uh, how did that come across as a, a mollycoddled introduction? Because the opening scene is a, a combination of taking a phone call about the death of his father, which felt a little bit like um, Six Feet Under, the TV series whilst also having needles of whatever the drug substance was, I'll assume it's heroin, dropping around his feet. How did you find that as an introduction to the character, Stephen?
2: Uh, yeah, it's a great character, a great um, introduction to him. He kind of really, uh, he gets across the, the antipathy he felt towards his father, obviously from the start. So you kind of, you know, his smile, was he smiling or laughing when he kind of puts it I think
0: down. he actually ends up laughing, doesn't he? Yeah, mm. yeah,
2: yeah, so, There's yeah. There's like
0: a cool. moment of suspense where you feel like his reaction could go either way, and then he yeah, starts yeah. laughing.
2: Mm. But, but it's, it's kind of, yeah, that's good introduction. But yeah, it's, I, I, I actually think the first episode, I think the first two episodes are probably the best episodes, and then it kind of, it settled down into a kind of more traditional drama. Yeah. Whereas the first two episodes I think were a bit kind of more special. I, did, I think so. It dropped off in quality or dropped off. It, it just kind of it, it became more of a kind of standard drama in the last yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that i mean looking back on the show
0: in retrospect it's the first episode in new york and the second episode in the south of france that's keeps standing out for me yeah.
1: yeah yeah i mean the thing is there's a lot going on in that first episode because we find out the father's dead we find out the main character's a drug addict we also find out that there's kind of been a botched suicide attempt as well And uh, he actually has to call on one of his best friends to help him give up drugs. And I think one of his best friends is actually carrying him across to the airport to get him into New York. But it's when he goes into New York, he suddenly ends up going off the rails um, because he's kind of half elated or joyful at the death of his father. But he's also experiencing the immediate emotions of the memory of his father that he's battling with. Um, Do you feel like Benedict Cumberbatch was the best actor to play this role? I
0: think so. I can't think of anyone else who could have done it at this stage. I mean, maybe like late 90s Hugh Grant. Yeah. Okay. It could have been a kind of step in the right direction for Hugh Grant. I mean, he's found parts like that since, like really meaty parts, but Mm. um, he's a bit too old for that particular character now. But it's the kind of thing I could have seen him do.
1: Yeah, it feels it feels like Hugh Grant gave us the clean cut, posh boy around town. And maybe Benedict Cumberbatch has kind of got the darker version. I mean, he's quite famous for playing a lot of uh, period drama characters, as you've explained before in 12 Years a Slave. And I do think he does get a lot of credit and a lot of opportunities because of his theatre background, because he's done Shakespeare's Hamlet. He's uh, done Tom Stoppard's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead and he's also uh, got the Critics Choice Award or Critical Theatre Award for playing Frankenstein with I think Johnny Lee Miller so this is a guy who's on his own he's bringing a lot of acting chops to the table and I felt that it was a great introduction of what is almost a calamitous character who's on the verge of um a personality explosion or or self-sabotage at any given moment I mean, episode two uh, is called Nevermind, where the main character tries or attempts to go through heroin withdrawal on his return to England, it seems. And he goes through a traumatic day where he re-experiences what it was like to be an eight-year-old living in France with his parents. And we get to see the manipulative side of the father, David, and how cruel he can be and how evasive or perhaps um non-present the mother is because of her alcoholism how terrified she is of the husband and we start to see flashbacks which indicate um deeper parts of the abuse that younger patrick experienced how do you think that was handled in terms of the second episode introducing those darker sides i
2: kind of i kind of guessed it in the first episode when Patrick was so reluctant to have a chat with his dad, and it was kind of like, okay. This isn't about a chat with a dad, mm-hmm. so I was kind of expecting that revelation in the second episode that you know he was abused. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, the, the second episode was my favorite, I think. It was, um, it was like Benedict come back, she's hardly in it, it's just his gurning face yeah. <laughs> every time yeah. they cut back to it, like in pain. But, um, yeah, the, that episode was, um, Fantastic! Just the the fear that everyone had of this guy, and you know, even his friends are kind of,
1: yeah, you know, getting mean,
2: their vibes to be good around him because you know they don't want to piss him off, and he's just so, oh god!
1: Exactly. I, I mean, I I found it fascinating that Hugo Weaving was kind of a twist in this character around his performance, where it was people of all ages who were threatened by him. It wasn't just children. And young adults but it was actually even his peers and people who he'd worked alongside who, who became fearful of him so I wanted to make um, a special mention of Sebastian Mouts, who plays the young uh, Patrick Melrose who gets almost um, the chance to uh, elaborate on who this character is and play the other half of uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, titular character and we get to see some of the most uh, terrifying face-offs he has with the father David Melrose as played by Hugo Weaving and it's interesting how those two share the screen space and tell so much exposition and what they do because the father is not just manipulative but he's cruel and he exerts um, an authority and um, kind of a reverie and fear in people not just who are children but people who are the same age and the peers and so the flashbacks are just as crucial to the story to see the layers of abuse that patrick was exposed to when he was alone with his father and at times when his mother was away so what did you think about the young boy's performance did he still well <laughs> yeah I mean, he didn't talk for a while and then he did talk
2: and it's a bit episode five where he kind of stands up to his dad. That's kind of, yeah, he was very in that, yeah. I liked it. I liked the whole kind of, the wow jumping thing, you know. The, the
1: wow jumping.
2: Yeah, where he's, you know, almost trying to get Oh, when he was up.
1: about to go into the well, yeah. I yeah, think. yeah. It's kind of like. The well is kind of in, an interesting symbol because when I first saw the world come up in the story i always thought oh he's just trying to explore and he wants to he wants to get away from his father uh, as far as possible and he wants to go to a dark space but in context when you see when i when i saw the whole series i, went, I thought okay this isn't just him explore experimenting the plane in the vineyard this is him wanting to kill himself from a very young age and well, being, prepared
2: to take, being prepared to take the risk of of dying yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah.
2: and then, then of course in episode five you see his son doing it
1: yeah do you
2: Rich, do you think
1: like, poignant so stephen do you think in terms of a portrayal of a drug addict on screen um or somebody who was suffering from the addictive? elements of drug abuse do you feel that this was a more authentic and integrated representation compared to other films that have tried to portray drug use on screen before
2: drug yeah i i think it did quite well in that in that aspect it it, it rang true for me dumb yeah um i i liked the performance i know the advice they
0: always give to actors who are trying to play drunk is try and imagine you're drunk but acting sober because that's what people who are actually drunk do and i think it's the same with patrick he's like stumbling around new york totally stoned but most of the time under the impression that he's concealing it somehow Mm. yeah and um benedict cumberbatch plays that really well i think especially the scenes in the funeral home.
2: It's amazing what you can get away with when you're rich. Yeah. You just crash your hotel room. I mean, that's the thing about the portrayal of him. You know, he's a rich man. He's, mm. you know, if Patrick Marrows was a working class guy, then yeah. it would be kind of more of a tragedy. It would be portrayed, I think much differently than it was. I mean, it was more kind of like, um, you know, he can go out tr- trashing his expensive hotel room and stuff, and he yeah. doesn't really suffer any consequences from that at all. Yeah. And I mean,
1: he, I felt that, that was an interesting risk that they took because the Patrick Melrose character seemed to have, on the surface, have everything going for him. He's part of the dynasty. He's quite rich. He can jet-set over to New York at moments notice. He's throwing cash around in the first episode. Um, He's overpaying the odds for uh, food, drink, hotels, drugs. And it it can come across as this is the reprehensible character um, that MKH always hates. But you start to see the roots of the behavior pull back to his past and um, where a lot of experience or that arrogance is coming from. It's not necessarily the character's talking in his voice, but the character's almost talking as if he's echoing uh, the thoughts and feelings of his father who's abused him. And um, I think in the episode, uh, Some Hope, which is episode three in 1990, um, Patrick gets invited to a uh, party with uh, Princess Margaret present. And Mm -hmm. um, he's trying to impress her, that people are trying to impress her almost as a surrogate of the, um, the David Melrose character and everyone's kind of bound towards her, kowtowing towards her every need, admittedly because she's royalty, but she tends to kind of push people under her thumb and crush them a little bit because I think there's a moment in that episode where I think a French ambassador is trying to um, make himself culturally relevant through conversation and he accidentally drips some sauce on her uh her dress and it becomes a humiliating experience of him having to clean up after
2: that's what my favorite scene actually in the whole thing was um the last scene with princess margaret and when um okay what was she called um with the ginger hair who's a holiday granger's character where you should um, know this she, because
1: up, she was in succession
2: yeah yeah and she came up uh, and she comes up to her and I think Princess Margaret's complaining about something and she just says, I couldn't care less to her and then <laughs> walks off and the, the look on Princess Margaret's face was brilliant, It's like, no one speaks to her like that and it's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll try and find out what that actress's name was. I think it was, um, I wanna say Jennifer Jason Leigh, uh, and it's not her, Princess Margaret was played by Harriet Walter. Yeah, yeah from um, Succession. So so Dominic did you have like a favorite scene or favorite moment that summed up the series for you?
0: Um well going back to the first two episodes I think um I did enjoy Patrick stumbling into a Jewish wake by mistake and taking <laughs> a bit too long to realize his mistake.
1: Yeah yeah yeah.
0: And to make a graceful exit. Yeah. That that was a good it- scene.
1: he doesn't really make a graceful exit. he kind of makes a big noise about it doesn't he
0: as he as he yeah it's like um he's like literally in a state where everything he does is going to make the situation worse
1: yeah yeah
0: it's there's nothing you can do to style that out
1: do you know what I i liked about that episode or that scene is it made the following flashbacks and moments of surrealism more believable because it was almost like he, he was walking into a surreal version of what he thought was his mm. father's funeral until he realised he was in it. It took him a really, really long time to realise he wasn't in his father's funeral. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't receptionist say
2: something? He says like, it's the wrong, wrong funeral. And she says, um, uh, well, that's not my father. And she says, well, death can, you know, change people death. <laughs> doesn't anything, it's yeah. Jewish. <laughs>
1: yeah I think I, I mean yeah I mean is it, he, he gets some very choice lines in this definitely um, I think there's even a part where he's actually trying to explain the details of the abuse to one of his um, uh, long um, and dearest friends Johnny at the end or in part of this um, party that's um, being entertained for Princess Margaret and there's a waiter that keeps coming up every five minutes in the conversation as telling him there's gonna be fireworks um, (laughs) on on display as he's trying to look five years old yeah yeah as he's trying to reveal this crucial piece of information about the root of the cause of his abuse and then yeah he just he slams the guy and goes we're not five years old and children don't want to see the effing fireworks and it's almost like i liked what i liked about this um series there were no clean lines of um how would you say there wasn't any clean catharsis so this idea that i think has been in the hollywood industry for maybe 10 or 20 years that we always catch the villain we always catch the bad guy we get the the person who's the victim gets to confront the perpetrator on their own terms and have this clean an ideal walk into the sunset moment. It doesn't quite happen for Patrick, and it's kind of, I think it kept it more grounded and more real. And this idea that he was always a danger to himself, and sometimes he didn't know when he was in danger because there's a moment where he tries to go to America. I think he has a memory of going back to America, and um, he tries to meet one of his old drug addict friends called chili willy and um he doesn't realize that the person who's about to take him to meet chili willy is actually going to take him around the corner no, Chilly
2: willy is is his mate he Chilly willy isn't the dealer his dealer i think is his sis is Chilly willy's sister or wife
1: oh yeah 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 mm-hmm. but the thing thanks for correcting me but the thing is when he first goes to try and meet him in person he doesn't quite know where he is and the guy who's showing him is actually going to take him around a corner to stab him and uh rob him of his money it's like he has to get saved from himself almost at the last minute so this idea of self-sabotage and putting himself in danger at moments notice it's never that far away so you can see mm. he's he's a volatile character
0: yeah i was gonna say as a like a flip side to the comic scenes in the the first episode there's a scene in the second episode where young patrick is called into his father's study and then the door closes which is absolutely horrific so i think those two scenes stuck out for me the the comic one of stumbling into the wrong wake and the kind of horrific one of being called into his father's office And you could hardly have a greater contrast within the same series
1: yeah i mean is it's interesting that the, the the less is more kind of um way of telling the story and the show don't tell kind of really uh, puts you in the shoes of the character. And um, did you also get the analogy and the symbolism of um, uh, what do you call these, the little animal? I want to say it's a lizard, but says some Komodo dragon, I think it was. Was it? Gecko. Yeah, the gecko, sorry. So the gecko that he kept seeing. Did you understand the symbolism from the beginning or did you need to wait for him to explain it in the, in the final episode?
2: Well, no, I, I didn't get the uh, I was kind of thinking, uh, this is like Death in Paradise because the, the, yeah. there's a lizard in that that the, the, the uh, whoever is the police officer at the time has to look after. It's like, oh, yeah. it's that a lizard, that, uh, but yeah, yeah. I thought the um the, the explanation was interesting and
1: yeah. I'm not sure if there's a Coen Brothers film called Barton Fink where I there think is. he ends up talking to insects or animals. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Or it's Peter Weller's naked lunch, I'm thinking, but there was an element where the insects come to life to start talking to the character whilst he's in a yeah. drug-addled state, and I thought that was because of the drugs. But the symbolism of what that meant was, I think, it was very painful to hear, like this idea that he what, he was so uh, horrified and disgusted by what his father did to him. He wanted the only way he could cope with it was putting himself into the body of this creature that he saw ahead of him and it was almost like what i was seeing from the series was a character who was not only trying to quit drugs but he was also trying to almost silence the noise in his head so he could say the things that was um he never got to say to people or he's trying to say the things So he could hear it for himself and start healing. Um, do you think Patrick Melrose is a, I mean, this is for Dom first, but do you think Patrick Melrose is a likable character or, and one that finds redemption, or is he one that is utterly like reprehensible and he becomes like his father?
0: I think he, I don't think he's obviously never as bad as his father. I mean in the first episode the first episodes I should say he is kind of an anti-hero yeah and you're kind of half laughing at him while he does outrageous stuff while under the influence
1: sure and
0: I think once you understand about the childhood trauma then he becomes a more I'm not sure relatable character as such because a lot of his experiences are probably outside of most of the audience's experiences but he becomes a more mm like rounded character you can empathise with. And by the end, I mean, he's definitely not really a bad person by any means. So, you know, you're on board with his eventual redemption.
2: I was on board with him from the first scene, I think. I I Yeah, I, I never. Yeah, I was uh, I mean, it helps. that I mean, the whole thing is on me from his point of view. But yeah, why like you kind of stuck with him for the whole series. But yeah, yeah, I was completely on board with him. Um,
1: I just wanted to say, do you guys feel that you're at a disadvantage from not reading the book and then jumping into the series?
2: I I, I I realized it was a book. So, Mm. yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I didn't feel
0: I was at a disadvantage because, um, to be honest, I hadn't heard of the books. So, I I figured that the TV series would be made to stand alone for people Mm. who hadn't read the books. Mm. It's not like watching say an adaptation of a terry pratchett or yeah. even harry potter which is sort of meant to be incident for incident the books but still in some ways doesn't make sense without the books um it's not like that
1: i mean what i understood of the, the series is that patrick's journey patrick's on a journey to sobriety and it's important to him because he's inside a society of like self-obsessed sycophantic social climbers so but the thing is the kind of casual use and access to drugs keeps the story tipping along and in the beginning I found him a difficult character to kind of um, uh, sympathize with because it felt like he was, all, he was being given all of these second chances and he just kept blowing them and frittering them away and he never really seemed to have much other motivation outside of the father's story, apart from the fact that he was very obsessed about the inheritance and he was very angry about being disinherited, which is a large part of episode four of Mother's Milk, where he's not only angry about being disinherited, but he ends up sleeping with um his best friend after his marriage. And it seems like after he's had kids and after he's reached some form of sobriety. So it always feels like even when he gets the job as a lawyer, he's ready to kind of push it all off a cliff at a moment's notice, uh, as if he hasn't learned from anything. And it's and there's an after dinner scene with uh, Patrick's wife, who's played by um, I'll try and get the name right, uh, Anna Madley, who plays Mary Melrose, who kind of cites the reasons specifically why he's flawed when they are going to, um, I think, some second cousins played by Blythe as Nancy Valance um, to find another property to hang out in and to, whilst, they're, whilst they're broke and homeless and on their last legs. So do you feel that Patrick Melrose was still self-sabotaging up until episode 4? Or was that part of his healing process?
2: Well, I mean, from, from episode three onwards, he's sober. So, I mean, I can imagine uh, that if you're a sober person who has kind of addiction issues, life must be slightly irritating anyway because you can't—you've yeah. you, never got that kind of um, release from it. You know, you're always sober, and um, <laughs> so you, you would get—you know—things like that would. Kind of, yeah. I, I, I mean, i he he definitely. I mean, he did. He he got off drugs. He 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 became a lawyer. He became successful. Got married. Got
1: yeah. But he children. got off of drugs and then got onto his best friend Julia, who was also a drug addict. Was that a good thing or a bad? Yeah,
2: friend? but I mean, the, the the whole Julia thing was odd because she didn't seem like a very nice person. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and, and actually, Patrick Morris is a nice. But I mean, you were talking about the scene earlier where he's kind of the waiter kept interrupting him about the fireworks, but he does yeah. apologise to it yeah. afterwards, which uh, a lot of dramas probably wouldn't have bothered doing that.
1: Actually, you know, what I think that's a redeeming quality of him. It's good that you pointed out, because I think there's a scene in the last episode, which is his, for his mother's funeral, where the Julia character, who's been his best friend, almost throughout the 23-year span, because let's not forget, this is almost like a time-travelling film, because we're going from 1982 to 2005 and bits in between. Um, the Julia character, she offends one of the waiting staff at the funeral because she's smoking in an area that she's not supposed to smoke in and she never apologises. She just kind of leaves the cigarette on the floor and walks off. And I felt that scene was supposed to be like a kind of a juxtaposition of even when Patrick Melrose knows he's done the wrong thing. He kind of tries to make amends in real time, rather than have somebody else do it for him. And Dom, do you do you feel like the Patrick Melrose character learned a little bit too late, or do you feel that he he was he was on his way to recovery at an earlier stage?
0: I I don't know if he learned a little too late because there's the sense at the end that he's going to remain sober and he's finally got his affairs in order and Mm. um, he's going to be as much on the straight and narrow as he can ever be in the final episode. So I don't know if that's a bit too late. The fact he's done it at all, is like some kind of achievement.
1: Mm.
0: You know, it's like some kind of triumph really.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I said, I just want to delve back into before we bring this to a close. Pip Torrens, I mean, I think he was marvellous as Nicholas Pratt, like the ageing arsehole who was sucking up to um, the dad, uh, David Melrose, and there was just so many times he came uh, out in the as just somebody who was just the worst, and, and I think Steve's is the worst acolyte that you can imagine possible, he was a really bad advocate for uh, being upper class, and even at the mother's funeral. Like, we
2: need more of that these days. I loved that he ranted himself to death.
1: That was yeah, 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 and that, that was pretty but, cool because I like the idea that he he had a very weird quip or downput for every person, and you felt like he lived off hatred and the energy of David Melrose's manipulation uh, to the point that I think there was a dinner scene. I think in episode two, which reminded me of. Um, a Harry Enfield sketch with, um, I think it was something, I think it's called the gold standard, but basically the premise of this black and white Harry Enfield sketch was, um, uh, the men were talking and the woman who was sitting next to Mm. one of the men in the sketch starts talking and then the men get angry and then she (laughs) ends up talking about how she likes the birds and stuff like that and little, little fluffy teddy bears. And they go back to talk and the men go back to talking about the gold standard and, um, the interesting thing about it is, I think the way Pip Torrens does it, like tongue in cheek, and he's like very dry, I felt, I don't think it could have been played by a better person than him. And I think, yeah, ranting himself to death was, it, you could see something coming, but it was still a shock for me to see it happen. So what's your recommendation for this series? Or what is it, what other series did it remind you of? Them?
0: Um, For me, it reminded me a bit of a show that came out at almost the same time called The Very English Scandal with Hugh Grant. And um, in that, Hugh Grant was playing, at the time, what seemed slightly against type, although he's since done more of that, of Mm. a character who mixed charm with a slight edge and um, a sense of... Slightly illicit, illegal behaviour. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think. Um, I don't really want to su- spoil the surprise if you haven't seen a very English scandal. But um, the scene where um, Hugh Grant um, tries to um, seduce a much younger man at his mother's cottage—that is quite something. Can you imagine Hugh going, "I'm going to have to mount you now." <laughs>
1: <Not yet. laughs> Well, speaking of, of Mountain, um, what, what's the, the, your favourite character to get on board with in Patrick Melrose? What, what was the one that really lit up the series for you?
0: Um, there were so many. Um, I mean, I did like um, the, the whole way that um, his mother was played, like um, this alcoholic character who was always turning the other way. Sure. And not, not a flashy part by any means, but it was just really well observed and, and very sad
1: and and Stephen um as we try to wrap this up and land the plane we, what series did Patrick Melrose remind you of or if somebody had watched another series and they hadn't seen this what would you say this show was like
2: I don't know I'm, I'm not I mean I think Dominic's example is good I can't yeah um I, I find it hard to think something off the top of my head did you ever seen six
1: feet of. under at all
2: yeah i've seen it all through twice yeah
1: did you see any select similarities because of the whole of son losing his father situation uh,
2: kind of yeah i mean it was a yeah I, I i can see what you mean um i don't it's it's, it's not like anything really that i can think of so I mean, so like, it's quite like, unique yeah Yeah, I guess like the first
0: episode was a bit like six feet under, that kind of queasy black comedy, and then kind of steered away from that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who was your standout character of the series? Would you say, Stephen?
2: For me, oh, oh, Patrick, surely. Sure.
1: Okay. All right. Well, um, guys, thanks for taking part in our roundabout trip or trip in with Patrick Melrose. I really appreciate that. Um, appreciate your time so thanks for coming on Stephen no problem and thanks for coming back onto this kingdom. thanks for having me and uh, I've been your host uh, TJ uh, there's more episodes of Geek Sweat and more Review Sweat to come if you'd like to follow uh, the series uh, feel free to Google or podcast search G W K S W E A T, and you'll be able to listen to our other episodes on Cult Film, Cult TV Hot Topics Dom's Docs, the MKH Cut Trader Talk and much much more we're over and out